I want to start off in a verse this morning that is a, a little bit of a reminder of, of where we're going this year. And it's in 2 Timothy. We've been talking about doctor's word this year has been what? Elevation. It's time to elevate. And what did we say that we were going to focus on this year in this house? Sound doctrine. Because without sound doctrine, we can't elevate. Because if we're outside of the word of God, there is no elevation. There is no promotion from God's kingdom if we're operating outside of his word. So sound doctrine is the thing that protects us. It's the thing that brings us into alignment with him, and therefore promotion comes from him. Elevation comes from him. Blessing comes from him. And so we're going to... start off with this word and then I'm going to let you know what we're going to be focusing on on over the the next few weeks. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and I'm going to read verses 2 through 4. It says preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Now, I know the first reaction is we always think that would never happen to me. But we have to be careful. There's a warning here that people will, and we even read it a couple weeks ago, people will depart from the faith. And it says people will turn to what their itching ears want to hear, and they will actually turn away from truth. But he says, Timothy, teach sound doctrine because that will help guard the people and they will be able to see the bait of the enemy. They'll be able to see when the enemy comes in and tries to get them off course. If you will teach sound doctrine, then it will help protect them. But of course, it also takes our heart, right? It takes our heart being willing to uh, do those things and to, to take the word of God as truth and allow it to correct, to rebuke, and in and to encourage us. And how does that come? Yes, it can come through the word, but I tell you, <clears throat> many times people, they read it and they're like, yeah, but you know what? Nobody knows about this thing that God just showed me. <laughs> Nobody knows about this scripture that just convicted me. And if I don't do it, nobody's going to know. If I don't listen, nobody's going to know. And so then, you know what the next step is? God sends people. God sends the church. He'll send people into our lives to tell us, to show us, to bring that extra, hey, you know, you need to, and and most of the time it's not even pointed until it gets to a place where we're ignoring it from the, the preaching or the teaching standpoint. If we ignore it from that point, then he'll bring people like directly in front of us that we can't ignore. And boy, those are, those are uh, <clears throat> open opportunities for offense. But if we choose to remain unoffended, and if we choose, like, I'm not going to allow this to take me out. I am going to, I'm going to evaluate myself, and I'm going to listen to the word of the Lord. Just because it comes through a person. You know, I, I've, I've had rebukes before by people that, eh, 
I didn't really care for how they did it. I didn't really care for maybe their personality, but they were right. And it wasn't about their personality, and it wasn't about them. It was about what the word of the Lord was saying to me. And so we have to be willing to do this. So what does that have to do with where we're getting ready to dive into? <coughs> we're getting ready to go into a series called The Church. The Church. And Pastor Brad will be uh, preaching tonight on, on some um, elements of, of this as well. But today, I really just want to begin into the intro of the church. And this has a lot to do with sound doctrine. It truly does. Because how we view the church, how we see the church, is very important and will steer us either in the right direction or the wrong direction based on our perspective. So <clears throat> we're going to dive into this series. We're going to get into a lot of things, the elements of the church, what the church is supposed to do, the things that are supposed to happen in church, uh, the, the organization of the church, all of these things. And we've been even talking about some of the, the things on Wednesday night with the gifts of the spirit flowing through the church. That's part of the body. And, of course, we see that the body is at work in the, or the body is working together in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, flowing uh, as the Holy Spirit wants to flow through them. But... Before we uh, turn to a specific scripture, I first of all want to just say, what is the church? What is, what is that word, the church? Because really in Greek, there is no word called the church. There, there is no the church referring to uh, the Christian assembly. What word is used is ekklesia. Ekklesia, E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A. Ecclesia, and it is the Greek word. It comes from two words. The first Greek word it comes from is ek, which means out from among. Out from among. So if I pull one person out of the congregation today and say, come up here on the platform, I'm pulling them out from among the congregation and up to the platform. I'm calling them out of the crowd and up to the platform, up, up here for a purpose. Well, the second part of that word is kaleo, which means to call, to call. So it is, in essence, to call out from among for a purpose. Now, this word is, is really, it, it derives from a verb, because to call out from among and to, to pull them together to an assembly, to congregate together for a purpose is something that we do. And so even in this word, ecclesia, this was also used in, if, if you're familiar with uh, the stories of Acts, there was a time when Paul uh, had entered into a city and he challenged the gods of that area. And one of the gods was the goddess of Diana. And Diana was worshipped. It was like their main god. And the, uh, the, the store owners, the people that created these gods, the silversmith, he wasn't happy because guess what? This got into his profits because less and less people started buying the goddess of Diana and all the other shrines because they start worshipping the one true god. And so they, they start leaving the gods aside. Well, this makes them mad. So he goes around to all the other uh, people that are, are making shrines, and this is their business. And he's like, guys, come on, we've got to do something about this. So he's, he's bringing a mob together to come against Paul. 
and to come against what Paul is preaching. And this also was called ecclesia, this mob that gathered, this assembly that gathered for a purpose to take Paul down. So the whole word ecclesia doesn't just mean church the way we see church. It means a gathering and assembling together for a purpose. Is that sinking in a little bit? So it's not just the church. It's actually a a word that was used in common times during that time period because even in the culture, uh, the the Greeks would send out a herald, a messenger, and they they would send, his name wasn't herald, it's H-E-R-A-L-D, that type of herald. Um, But they would send this messenger named herald out out to the streets and say, There's an assembly at such and such place at this time to do this. And he would run through the streets announcing this to everybody so that the people that wanted to attend or had some sort of interest in this would come to the meeting. And so this coming together was called ecclesia, ecclesia. Well, that is what Christ has done for us. So this is the word that's used time and time again when you read the word church, that's what's being said. The, the ones that are called out according to his purpose, they assemble together. They come together for a purpose. And they're called by who? By the head, Christ. And so God has called you or you wouldn't be here this morning. God has called your heart. He has spoken to your spirit or you wouldn't be here this morning. And so even when we're going through this, you know, I just want to, I want us to keep in mind what the church truly is. It's not a building. It's not, you know, that's how I'm going to church. That's, that's what we think, right? I'm going to church. I'm going to go to the building and I'm going to sit and I'm going to maybe participate, maybe not. And then when it's over, I'm going to go to eat, But it's this mentality that I'm going to go to the building to church. But church is not a building. You could take this whole building away. We could meet in the parking lot. We could meet at at Denny's. We could meet wherever. And and this would be the congregating together of the church, wherever we chose as a meeting place. That would be the church. Go ahead and flip over to... Uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. And I'm going to read verses 24 and Now, understand, before we get into this, I, I, I want you to understand why we're talking about this because I don't want you to feel like, oh, pastors are, are coming down on me because of whatever. No, this is for understanding of what the word of God says because this is, just like it says, there will be some that are drawn to those, uh, what they want to hear. They'll be drawn to teachers that tell them what they want to hear. These things will come in the last days. And, of course, in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, we're also going to see what will happen in the last days and it's already happening but it's for you to understand so that when you see these things happen 
that you are aware. Not only that, but when others say these things, you will also know how to respond to them. So Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. That means they, they neglect it over and over and over and over and over, and it's not even part of their life anymore. But let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let me read it in another version. Let us consider one another to provoke and to love unto good words. That word provoke actually means to jab until you get a response. Boy, we don't like that, do we? Has anybody ever been jabbed in church <laughs> and, and you don't like it? I'll be the first to raise my hand. <laughs> but that's what Paul's telling us here. He's saying provoke one another. Now, he's not saying be mean, but he is saying encourage one another on the right track to do good works because this is what the church is supposed to do. This is who we are. This is, this is Christ in us. Amen. Whew. Be like asking them at the end of service. Was this too hard of a teaching? How many are still going to come? Okay, now. Not forsaking, which means deserting or abandoning, or to leave helpless. To leave helpless. Do you realize that when people go missing, when they abandon and desert the body of Christ, that there's gaps in the body that aren't being filled because of that? that someone ends up missing out on something and being left helpless in that situation unless someone else steps up to the plate. Being left helpless, deserting, abandoning. You know, when that happens in, in the Army or in the Marines and the, the Armed Forces, that doesn't go over real well when someone deserts or abandons. <laughs> But man, when it comes to the things of the church, the body of Christ, which we should be the example of the ultimate army of God, we should be the example to the rest of the world how to do things. So we shouldn't abandon or desert. The assembling, the gathering together to fulfill the purpose of gathering, the, the assembling of ourselves together as the custom of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching, the day of the return of Christ, the day that we will be raptured and taken away. So the more you see things climaxing to that point, the more that we should be gathering together. Why? Because we're going to need more encouragement. Because there's more going on in the world that resists the word of God, that resists the things of Christ. So we'll need more, that more encouragement. People will, it's very easy. In fact, so many times the word of God speaks about the distractions and the, the cares of this world. And that's the reason that the word of God doesn't have any effect in their heart is because of the cares of the world, the things that distract them, the hardness of heart. So the more that happens, the more we need to be together to make sure that our hearts are staying in the right place. I want to read real quick because um, I looked up, and there's actually a word for it, which I didn't know. How many have heard of unchurched believers, the term unchurched believers? <clears throat> okay, what's well, the thing? 
And when asked why they, because they were believers in Christ, but they didn't go to church. And when they were asked why, this is why they said, 46% said, because they practice their faith in other ways. Did that make anybody laugh on the inside? It did me. I was like, what? That doesn't even make any sense. You practice your faith in what other ways? If we're, if we're getting things from the word of God, what other ways are you talking about? That Because man gets off on their own little things and they don't want to be held accountable. See, all of these sound good on the surface, but I can guarantee you they all go back to either sin, offense, hurt, or something has happened where they don't want to be accountable. But they sound good on the surface. Oh, yeah, I get you. Yeah, I, I, I do that too. I practice faith in my own way. I go in my room and I light candles and incense and I make it smell really good. And then I just sit there and I just, I read the word and I just. Remember when it said that we go to church and there has to be the correction, the rebuking, and the encouragement. If that's the case, if someone's at home in their bedroom just doing their own thing with their own faith, whatever, who's correcting? Who's rebuking? And who's encouraging them? Themselves? That's a, that sounds like a little bit of a mental issue. If I say, no, we're going to stop that. You know, you, gotta, you got to do this. That sounds like I'm going back and forth. <laughs> and am I really going to do that? Most people, no, they're not. They're not at home designating certain times. It's because they don't want to follow some sort of, of thing that's going on here in the word of God. 33% said they haven't found a church that they liked. Okay. There's no churches anywhere that measure up. Well, then maybe keep hunting, move somewhere. My spiritual walk with God is way more important, way more important, because where I attach myself determines my future. The breakthroughs that happen because of prayer and because of the things that we attach ourselves to in the house of God. See, people don't understand that. They don't attach themselves to church because they don't think it matters. They don't think that, that their future is affected and impacted. But what they don't realize is when that moment comes, when you didn't know what the pastor was going to preach, but man, it was preached that morning, and then there was an altar call, and somebody came up, and they got a word from the Lord of what to do, or they got their healing, and now they don't have to deal with, with the, the, the lame back or the, the sickness or the disease or the whatever it is, so now I can run full force in it. That affects my whole future now because now I'm healed. Those moments... You didn't know what's going to happen, but if, if you're not here, guess what? You'll never know what was supposed to happen. These are appointments. I look at, I look at church as my appointment with God. And I don't know what's going to happen when I come through the doors. Because that's up to God. How he might want to move, who he's going to touch that morning. There, there's times when, when we're just praying, we're trying to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, where he wants to move that day. 
Well, he didn't tell us the night before, tomorrow I'm going to do this and this and this and this, because that's not faith. We're to flow in the things of the Spirit. 20% said they don't like the sermons. 14% said they don't feel welcome. And 12% said they don't have time. They don't have time. And I thought that was interesting because they all had this running theme of me, I, yeah. Does that represent Christ? No. He said, count the cost. Count the cost. All right. Acts 2.42 said they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, in the breaking of bread and prayers. And, of course, we'll be going through these things like prayer. And, but the, the thing I wanted to point out this morning was fellowship. Fellowship. That comes from uh, a word, koinonia. There's a church in Africa that's actually the Koinonia Church. They named their church after this idea of fellowship of the body of Christ because they value one another. They honor one another in the assembling together. It's like they're putting that honor of one another in front of their face constantly. Koinonia, the fellowship. It means to be in contact with, to share and have in common with one another, to contribute, to be a joint participator. How can we do that if we're not in connection with the body? Now, I know you guys are here this morning, so I'm not preaching at you. But I am preaching from a standpoint of there will be things that you hear. Those that decide that they're going to have home church in their garage with just them and their family. Or just them themselves. Well, I am the church. You know, I have church at home. Do you really think that they themselves, by themselves, are having a scheduled time where they're having worship? And, and who are they giving their offering to? themselves? Who are they in contact with? Who are they contributing to? Who are they sharing with? It can't happen. It goes against the idea of the very word ecclesia, to assemble together. You see what I, why I'm touching on this? Because the very word ecclesia goes against the idea of being on your own. But more and more as the day approaches, we will see these things happen. And I, I remember there was a time when, you know, the idea of uh, small groups and home churches and things like that started getting uh, a little bit more um, prevalent in, in, in America. And small groups are good in, in the realm of the church, you have, as the church grows, you keep things family-oriented and small by having small groups where people can come and have connection with one another, ask questions. They can uh, ask for things in the scripture. How do you do this? Give me your understanding of this. So those small groups are important. But there was this push for getting out of the, the assembling of, of, of gathering together in a large group and going back to the idea of a home church, like maybe 20 people, because they saw it in the word of God in Acts. But let me debunk that for you for a moment, because you have to understand that as the church was birthed, there were no, there were no houses 
like the house of the Lord to go to. There were times that Paul went and preached in the synagogues, but the synagogues belonged to the 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 um, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, those that were of the the faith that may not be- believe or uh, endorse Jesus Christ. So they couldn't go unless they were invited to preach the very thing or when they preached it and then there was backlash, well, then they had to find another place to meet. So in the beginning, they had to meet in homes. And then as time went by, then they ended up getting buildings or places, meeting places for them to be able to meet at. So it wasn't the, the ideal or the pinnacle. It was the starting place. So God's not calling us to go backwards He's calling us to advance. He's calling us to to have a greater and greater impact. The impact of a church of a thousand will be much greater than the, the, the impact of a home church of 10. There's only so much that two families can do. Because if you've got five in this family, and okay, let's say three families, two in this one, three more in this one, how much can three families do? It's not going to be a huge amount. But the more that the church grows, it's for instance, there are times that the go team are they're going out. There's there's various people in the body of Christ going out and doing things two by two or going into residential homes. And it's not based upon the backs of just one person. Someone's doing ministry over here. Someone else is doing ministry over there. And things are still going. And the more that that picks up and the more that that grows, the accumulation and the momentum of that, the impact you can have in an area becomes greater and greater and greater. It's an amazing thing. It's a joyous thing. It's a, celeb- it's a celebration, really, when the body of Christ begins to see this happen. You can feel the momentum. And then... You find joy in what's going on because together you're getting it done because some are sowing large seeds into it to see it happen. And some are there uh, preaching the word to the to the homes. Some are in prayer for it. There's various things that are going on, but everybody that's invested in it feels the joy of it. They feel the celebration of it. Hallelujah. The Bible calls us living stones in 1 Peter 2, 5. He says that we are living stones being built into a spiritual house. Have you guys, any of you ever uh, tried to build something out of little rocks, you know, when you were little and, and tried to build something out, outdoor or with sticks or whatever? Well, did you ever just accumulate like one stone and try to build with one stone? One stick. Just, there it is. There's, there's my castle with one stone. No, because you can't do it. And, and people will often say, well, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yes, you are. The Bible says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That means he's speaking to you. He's leading you. But that doesn't mean in and of yourself. You are the whole church. You are one part of the church. And when you... Look at 1 Corinthians, just like right after the spiritual gifts, Paul goes into a whole thing of the body of Christ. And the ear can't say to the eye that I don't need you because we all need each other. And in fact, it goes on to say that there's not to be any division among you. That means nobody cut off. Would you, anybody in here, cut off their pinky and just leave it lie? 
you know what, I don't need this thing anymore. I'm just going to leave it lie over here. And, you know, I don't, I don't think it's that useful, so I'm just going to cut it off. I think most of you would say, no, I want to keep my pinky. Even though you've got nine other fingers, I still think I'm a little bit attached to that. I still think I want to keep that because there are times I need that pinky. It's important. And it's the same thing in the body of Christ. We need one another. We cannot be the church in and of ourselves. I want to read uh, out of 1 John. Go ahead and turn to 1 John. Oh, and if you read 1 John, man, it will, it will do some correction in your spirit. 1 John chapter... Four. Let me read this to you first before we get into that, because I, I do want you to understand this concept. Uh, in Hebrews 2.11, it says, The one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. We are all one family. Where did that come from? Did that fall out of my hair? Oh, okay. Well, sometimes I stick pins in my hair. I'm like, has that been there all morning? <laughs> but it says that we are the family of God, and Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. He's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. That means Jesus is our elder brother. So that means we're the family of God. Would anybody give up one of your family members? Well, maybe I shouldn't ask that. <laughs> Some of you might say, yeah, I got one. I got one I would get rid of. <laughs> but in a family, even though there's quirks, even though sometimes there's personality differences, even though there's things that happen sometimes, and there can be sibling squabbles and, you know, marriage squabbles and all of these things, but we're still family. And we all have a, a design in the family to help contribute to that family. We, we don't just get rid of the person because we, we have an issue that day. It's a covenant. And he says, he says, those that are being made holy, you are part of the family. And he is not ashamed to call you brothers or brethren. So that means we are all brothers and sisters in Christ, right? We all know that, right? But do we treat each other that way? Or are we easily like... I'm done with them because of some issue that came up. That's why the Bible has a, a whole thing that, that talks about going and confronting your brother and love and talking with them and, and, and finding resolution. But we're not going to get into that today. But to identify with Christ as your brother, to identify God as your father, and to not identify those in here as your brothers and sisters is wrong. You cannot identify Christ as your brother, God as your father, and disregard the body. It's wrong. All right, so 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. 
It says, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Now, let me back up here for a second because years ago I used to read that and I'm like, man, that's a hard statement because, you know, we, we kind of deal with this idea of love as being like I have to feel all mushy towards them. That's not, <laughs> that's not the case. You may not feel, you know, like all mushy towards somebody, but love is an action. It's not a feeling. And if you go First Corinthians 13, the whole thing, what God defines love as, not how the world defines love. Love is patient. It is kind. It does not envy. It doesn't boast. It is not self-seeking. It doesn't keep record of wrongs. All of these things that love is, that means there's an action behind it. You can't sit there and say, I'm loving someone and not do those things. That means you're going to be tested in it. There will be times when you don't feel like being patient or kind. There will be times that you don't feel like not keeping record of wrongs. There is going to be times when, when you feel like boasting on yourself. All of these things will come up. They're, they're part of our human nature that we have to continuously pull down. But that's what he's saying. If, if you are going to love your brother, there's an action behind it. There's a doing behind it, not just, what do you mean, God, I have to have all these feelings towards them? I have to, like, feel love? No, it means that you choose to love by how you treat them, by how you treat them. And then it goes on and says, yet hates his brother. If you say that you love God, yet hate your brother, because we hear all kinds of people say, oh, but I love God. I love God. It's just me and God. But, boy, they'll say a mouthful about their brother or sister. Yet hates his brother. Now, this word hates. Understand, this is not like hate as in, oh, I just have a hatred towards them. It's not that kind of hate. The, the original word here means to disregard, to be indifferent towards. That sounds like a pretty uh, casual thing. Indifferent, like, eh, whatever, who cares? You know, they can do this, whatever, I don't really care. Indifferent. So it doesn't really look like you're doing anything wrong when you're indifferent. <laughs> like, honestly, you can be kind of indifferent about something, and, and people don't really notice that as much as, like, full-blown hatred. <laughs> like, full-blown hatred, it starts seeping out. But being indifferent, you can kind of hide that. You can kind of mask that and do nothing. You know, when in the Old Testament, when uh, Tamar was raped by her brother, her other brother, it was Absalom, raped by Absalom, the other brother, Amnon, am I getting the, the right names? Because I didn't look this up before. It said that he, he felt indifferent towards his brother. Amnon felt indifferent towards Absalom. He didn't say anything to him one way or another, even though he hated what Absalom had done to his sister. And he, he, wanted to, he wanted the situation to be justified, and nobody did anything about it. And he was angered by it, but he didn't do anything about it. He, he was indifferent because ultimately David should have been the one to do something about it. It was his children. But Amnon, he, he, it said he didn't do anything one way or another. He was indifferent in his heart. Well, who knows what happened? 
Amnon murdered Absalom. That's why as you go through this passage, it talks about how if you are not loving your brother, you're considered a murderer. Let me find the passage. Hold on, because it's in First John. Oh, I'm in the wrong chapter. That's why. Verse 11 in chapter 3. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. His brother was right. It's not like he had a reason to murder his brother. His brother was right, but he was jealous because of the evil of his own heart twisted his perspective. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. If we do not love our brothers, it says that we have not passed from death to life, that we remain in death. Verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid his life down for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need and has no pity on him, how can he love, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or with tongue, but with action and in truth. Again, there's a call to action here. It's not in words, well, I love them, you know, I love them. No, it's, it's the action and in truth. There's truth that goes along with it. Why? Because anytime we have issues, there's got to be an element of truth that comes in that shed into the situation to cause it to be corrected. In word, or sorry, in action and in truth. So that word hate does not mean that you're like passionately, you know, angry and mad and you're just like you got this murderous intent in your heart. But what it's saying is that's the same seed that grows into murder, being indifferent and to to choose one way over another. That's why the Bible says if you choose your, your parents, your siblings, your brothers, your sisters, your, your family over Christ, that you do not love Christ. That's why it says if you do not hate your mother, your, your father, your brother, your sisters, then you, do, you cannot be my disciple. That's what the word of God says. I believe that's in Luke. You cannot be my disciple. So what he's saying here, if you do not hate them, meaning you do not place me over them. It's not meaning to hate them the way we see hate. It's meaning to put one option above another, to esteem Christ more highly than what the world may say or what the family may say that's against the word of God. So when the word of God 
shows us something that's different or we have a call on our life or we're expected to do something that Christ requires us to do in his word. But our family is saying, no, don't do that. Don't you love me? Don't you want to stay here with me? But God's calling us to do something else. We're supposed to esteem what God tells us to do and hold that in higher value. So he's saying here, I want you to lay down your life for me. And sometimes that's not as much of a problem for us. And we'll be like, okay, yeah, God, I'll do that. So for some, that's not the case. And that becomes a real struggle. And, and you know, they'll, they'll place family things above Christ. But what he's saying here is not hate them, but to value that as less than Christ. But over here on the flip side, when he says... And he's talking about you must love your brother. It's because God is love. So now he's saying, now I'm asking you to place your brother as higher value than your own feelings. Why? Because I am Christ in you, and God is love, and I'm requiring you to love your brothers. So now the table's kind of got turned because now we're talking about people that are our brothers and sisters in Christ. But what he's meaning is to esteem the, the commandments of God more than how we feel, how we, how we may think ourselves. And yes, is that a hard word? It can be a hard word sometimes. But I'm also going to tell you there's a blessing in it. The blessing that comes with honoring your brothers and sisters in Christ, loving them, doing for them, coming together with them in the trenches, being part of the body, there's nothing else like it. There's hard times. There's difficulties that can come. But when you come through that, man, there's a bond that you have with them that's stronger than whatever happened before. Minister, can you come to the keyboard, please? You know, I just uh, wrote down some things personally that I was reminded of that the church has done for us personally. And when I say church, I'm not talking about everybody came and did this. What I'm talking about is someone or a few in the body of Christ came and gave, came and did for us and it impacted us. Moments in time when, man, that that could have taken you in another direction if you didn't have that. Or it was just the fact that it was a blessing and it touched your heart. And it spoke volumes to you. And there are some things that you could still even speak of today where it brings tears to your eyes because it, it, it touched you so much. But they all happened because of somebody or a group of people in the body of Christ. And so I just want to read through because I want you to see. So remember when I'm saying the church, I'm talking about the people in the church that make up the church. I'm not talking about the whole congregation coming. And and in fact, this week, um, this past week, when I say the church, 
brought us chicken noodle soup for dinner when it was late one night and and we didn't get home from the church until after 10 o'clock and the church gave us chicken noodle soup well that wasn't the whole church gathering together to make us chicken noodle soup that was somebody a family in the church that brought it to us and it was a blessing to us because when we got home we didn't have to cook at 10 o'clock at night and figure out what we were going to eat that was a blessing but do you know why that happened because we were part of the church. We were part of the body. We were connected to the church. That would not have happened if I was disconnected. There was a woman one time, before I read this, there was a woman one time, and I'll never forget it, because it really broke my heart. She did her own ministry for the homeless. But because she did her own ministry, she didn't feel like she needed to be part of a church continuously. So she was never in church. Well, I can't say never. It was very sporadic. And she would go to this church, and then she would go to that church, and then she would go to this church. And it, she just kind of hopped around whenever she felt like it. But, you know, because she did her ministry for the homeless, then she didn't think that it was really that important because I'm doing ministry. Well, her husband got sick and he passed away. And Pastor Brad ended up, he was driving by, or we were, we were leaving church uh, one Sunday. We drove by her driveway and was like, let's stop in and check on her. And so we did. And one of the comments that she made, she sat there and she cried and she said, you know, nobody in the church said anything or stopped to check on me. You know, you don't sit there and, and make it a, a correction moment at that moment. <clears throat> you love her. But in my mind, guess what I'm thinking? You weren't connected anywhere. Nobody knew what was going on. When you're disconnected, you're over here doing your own thing and nobody knows. They just think, well, you're, you're part of another body. And so they must be taking care of things. You don't, nobody knows where you're at. Well, the church is just supposed to chase me. You know how many times we hear that? Well, you know, I, I, I quit going to church and nobody chased me. They don't word it like that, of course. You know, nobody called me. Nobody did this. That's actually a, I'm going to dare to go here, okay? That's a sign of immaturity. If you have to be chased down to go to church. Yes, we do it. We make phone calls. We check up on people every single week. We're sending messages and sending texts and sending, you know, doing phone calls. But if your walk with God is dependent upon someone chasing you down to do it, how strong is your walk? <laughs> Something get a hold of you there. Something touching you. Let me, let me just go through it real quick. It was, why don't you guys go ahead and stand up? You guys can stand. <laughs> it was the church that in the, in those moments after having our children as babies, 
it was the church that brought us meals for two weeks so that we didn't have to cook. And it provided meals every single night for two weeks when you're getting used to being a new parent and getting used to having another one and getting used to having a third one. <laughs> but that was the church. But it involved individuals in the church that chose to do that. It was the church that taught our children in Sunday school so many years, poured into our kids in Sunday school and taught them the word of God and taught them how to defend their faith and taught them to be strong. It was the church that taught us doctrine and corrected us when we were off and would point us in the right direction and encouraged us when maybe we weren't going as regularly as what we should have been going to in order to stay strong. It was the church that was there during the death of loved ones. It was the church that helped support us in the mission field. It was the church that launched us into ministry and gave us the platforms and the places even within the church to, to learn to minister at different levels. And it grew us. It was within the church that our children found friends of like faith and the same value systems to help hold them accountable. They weren't worldly friends that took them off course. They were friends that would be there to even correct them honestly in moments when if our kids would do or say something those kids were there to to light them up hey we don't do that it was the church that when we left the mission field they went to the airport for an hour and sung worship songs and sung praise songs to God the whole time we went through and checked in our bags and went through the whole TSA line. While everybody else in the TSA line just kept looking at us wondering who are these people and why are they getting such a, a promenade out of Maui but it was the church. Why? Because hearts and lives touch hearts and lives. It was the church that gave us prophetic words that we needed at times to encourage us and to point us in the, in the way that God wanted us to go, to strengthen us, to help us keep our, our focus and, our, and that, that tenacity even when you face those moments of how's that going to happen? But you got a prophetic word from somebody in the church. It was the church that stood with us in prayer in personal difficult times. And many of you in this room were part of those moments. Some of you we've known longer than others. Some of you have prayed with us during those difficult times. Some of you were there singing us through the TSA line. Some of you were 
there in, in moments of time to help raise the kids and be a part of our lives. Some of you we may not have known quite as long, but we look forward to being the church with you and having those moments where we strengthen one another. So when I say stay, be rooted, don't quit even during those hard times because it's in those moments that builds the best family it's in those moments of, of difficulties, even during moments of hurt. Hurts that have been overcome can actually even build lasting friendships and relationships. If you'll see it through. So I encourage you to stay. I encourage you to root. I encourage you to see the church as your family, not just a, a building or a bunch of people that come together and just go their own way. Be connected to one another. Pray for one another. And you be the church to someone else. And you know, the thing that has struck me at times, because there's been a lot of people that's come through the door and, and some have stayed for a while and then left. And You know, we're committed. And that's the thing. We're committed. We're not leaving. If someone leaves, it's not us. That's the tenacity I want you to have. If someone's moved, it's not me. I stay in place and I'm solid. I'm solid. I'm here. I do what God asks me to do and I do it for him, but I do it for the body of Christ because these are my brothers and sisters.